the name of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> the raspy voice is a function of a sinus problem, not COVID. In fact, I get shot number two today at five o'clock. So if I'm sick, it'll be for the seven o'clock service. Just a warning to the uh, rector. In just a few days, we'll observe the anniversary of the announcement of COVID-19 being a pandemic. Uh, we couldn't have imagined all that would happen this year. I remember when I was, uh, uh, when work uh, told us to stay home and start teleworking that <clears throat> this would be a temporary fix, uh, some temporary. Uh, this will probably go on for us for quite a few months. Uh, but so much has changed for all of us, okay? So much has changed for all of us. Uh, kids are not going to school. Uh, the way they're going to school is odd. Telework, no work, no pay, loss of income. Zoom, who would have thought we'd become so familiar with that? Masks everywhere, not able to see our families, and strange conversations at, uh, uh, work on some conference calls, it's perfectly uh, uh, acceptable now uh, to ask people, well, have you had your shots yet? Uh, certain private uh, medical information, and, and we convey that to one another. So things have changed. Uh, and this has been uh, our reality for the past year. And now we face Lent. The minister just invited us in the name of the church the observance of a holy Lent. Self-examination, repentance, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, reading and meditated, meditating on God's word. Now, I applaud the uh, restraint of the congregation because when you look at that list, uh, there is a temptation to stand up and say, what do you think we've been doing for the last year? Uh, this has certainly characterized our lives, but you refrain from that, and I, and I appreciate that. Uh, but <clears throat> the other thing we have to take a look at is the nature of what this church has been up to. We have been fasting. Every Tuesday, there's a group of vestry and uh, other members of the congregation who have fasted every Tuesday for the last year. Prayer, that Tuesday group has prayed regularly in our church for the church in the world. There is our regular prayer ministry, our intercessory prayer ministry of about 15 people that prays regularly through the week. Almsgiving, since the pandemic started, this church has given generously, not only to the church building fund, over two and a half million dollars, uh, but to our outreach ministries, over $100,000 to ministries like Casa Lagua, the Mariah Center, our missionaries in Africa and the Middle East, Carpenter Shelter, reading and meditating on God's word. We've been very active in that, weekly and daily worship services, both in person and virtually. Small groups, adult and children's education, personal study. We have engaged those kinds of things. But the context has been different from what we're looking at in the coming 45 days or so. Our activities have been a function of just the regular church. It's also been a function of survival, uh, adaption, uh, protection, any number of other things. But Lent is different. 
And we need to see it differently from what we've looked at the, the, the last uh, uh, 11 or 12 months. Um, we read a passage from uh, Joel today. It's not a, uh, a book, uh, if I were to bet and do a little survey, I have a feeling, and if I bet you 20 bucks, I bet you nobody in here has read the book of Joel in the last year. <clears throat> I confess, uh, not to be too self-righteous, I had to look in the table of contents of my Bible to figure out where it was. Uh, but uh, once I read it, it's only three chapters, about five pages. Once I read it and understood it, I realized that the prophecy of Joel has something very particular to tell us during these times. And I just want to briefly go over some of those things. Joel was written about 2,500 years ago, about 400 years before Christ. It was written at the end of a plague, at the end of a plague. Their plague was different from our plague, although uh, I think both are probably as devastating. Theirs was a plague of locusts. And given the way Job describes it, it seems as if that plague lasted for four years. God help us that our plague will be less. Uh, and not only did the plague devastate the agriculture, leading to deaths, at the end of it, the land was so parched that uh, brush fires began to erupt all over the place, uh, uh, intimidating and, and endangering lives. So uh, Job, or, uh, Joel may have something uh, interesting to say to us, and I want to uh, uh, want you to listen to some of the passages we're going to, uh, some that we read today, but just a couple of other ones. In the opening lines, Joel says, hear this, you elders, give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. That's going to be going on with us, too. Uh, my wife Judy lost two grandparents in the plague of 1919. It's a plague that she has told her children about, and they will tell their children. It, it had a profound effect on how the family moved forward and the decisions the family made. Now, there is a difference between Joel's plague and ours. We have to be very careful. I've heard people uh, in the Bible study and other places say, ask the question, well, is COVID-19 God's judgment on us? Now, it's tempting to answer that in the affirmative. Uh, I think we should be very careful before we put words into God's mouth. Uh, I also want to take a look at, uh, very briefly, some possibilities. Uh, it, it always strikes me that when something bad happens, they say, well, this is God's, something God's done. I don't know why we're so quick to put bad things at the feet of God. It could have been that this is a function of the devil. It could be that it's just our human carelessness. It could be our human inattentiveness. I tend to more look at the human carelessness more than anything else. So we should be careful. But with Joel, there was no question. It was a, an act of God. But Joel's response is instructive to us in our response to this disease and to the Lent in front of us. In the midst of the end of the plague, Joel says, chapter two that we read this afternoon, blow a trumpet in Zion, 
Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Even after they've gone through this four years of plague, Joel warns them about the day of the Lord and that it's coming and they should be careful. And he says again, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Familiar words, fasting, weeping, and mourning. Uh, now Joel is warning them, he has something particular in mind, but I think uh, that Joel was uh, obviously writing through the power of the Holy Spirit, but that there may be a more interesting uh, uh, understanding of this than we see uh, in, in, uh, in just a superficial reading. Now, in looking at uh, Joel cautioning about what was going to happen and to repent, he says this, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. For Joel, he understood that God's mercy and grace were still functioning. And we know that now too. We know that as we ask God for forgiveness, as we repent, that we will most certainly be forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And the hint that even Joel was writing beyond his understanding turns up in the third chapter of Joel. He says these uh, famous lines from literature, not only from him, but from literature. He says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And he describes the sun and moon being darkened and the stars withdrawing. I believe that the Holy Spirit was also giving us a glimpse to another future other than the one that the uh, people of Israel were facing. I think this aptly describes Good Friday. The stars were darkened. At three o'clock when Jesus died, there was lightning, there was an eclipse. It was a terrible, terrible day. And it fits under the, the whole rubric of the day of the Lord. And I think prophetically that Joel was talking about Good Friday. It's also apropos, he says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. As Jesus Christ was crucified on that hill, all other people surrounding it, even us, in looking up at the cross, reside in a valley of decision. And we are prepared to make those decisions, and we have made those decisions. The other reason I think that Joel is unwittingly talking about Good Friday is in the final verses of his prophecy. He says this, and in that day, the day of the Lord, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all the steam bed, stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water the desert valley. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water the desert valley. Jesus said, if you would ask, I would give you living water. Joel didn't realize it, but he was describing what would happen in Calvary, on that mountain, for us, 
that out of that great and terrible day of the Lord, and it certainly was for Jesus Christ, a fountain, a stream would come to water the deserts and bring new life. So this 25-year-old prophecy provides an emphatic roadmap for us over the coming weeks. And that's to, to Good Friday. This past Sunday, we had a sermon uh, ending the season of Epiphany on the Transfiguration. Uh, and part of that uh, uh, sermon, uh, the preacher used the word prolepsis, that the Transfiguration was a prolepsis. It was a look ahead at who Jesus is and, what, and was. So it was the last Sunday, the last Sunday of Revelation, but I believe that it also poses something about the first Sunday before Lent that is particularly uh, applicable to us. Lent ought to be a prolepsis for us as we look forward to Good Friday. Our journey to Good Friday starts today. Don't worry about Easter. Don't worry about Easter. Focus on Good Friday. God will take care of Easter. But as we look at Good Friday, we will get a prolepsis of what all these events mean. We will get a prolepsis of Jesus Christ. In a few minutes, the ministers will come down uh, and impose ashes. Uh, normally, we would come to the rail for ashes as we do for communion. Uh, it's fitting that that the same people who would deliver communion to our pews will now deliver these ashes. And the words of imposition will be, remember that you are dust and to dust you, you shall return. Uh, and, and, and each of us will receive this cross. There are only three times in the prayer book that we are crossed on our foreheads. First time is when we're baptized and it's with oil. Today, we will get the cross and ashes. And near our death in times of sickness, we will be anointed with oil with the cross. So it's interesting that these are the only three times. So it's, it's a profound moment in the life of the church and the way this particular uh, uh, service unfolds because we will be reminded of our death. The baptism reminded us of new life in Jesus Christ. The anointing at our death is to remind us of the new life that we will experience after death. But now we'll be reminded of our own mortality. In the same way that the scriptures say, Jesus resolutely, resolutely set off for Jerusalem. We need to resolutely set off for Good Friday. We need to, in our own way, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We have to take that in the hope that we will have a prolepsis, that we will see something different about the crucifixion and our place in it. We mentioned six, six things at the beginning of the service when it was just read about the things we will do. Self-examination, repentance, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, reading and meditating, God's word. It's a, it's a long list. Now, I'm going to add two things to it. I'm glad the uh, presiding bishop is not here. It's bad to edit the prayer book uh, on your own, but I'll, I'll let you decide. I'm going to add two things. I'm going to add thanksgiving to that, your personal thanksgiving, to begin thanking God for the cross and where you fit in it. 
The second thing I'm going to ask, add to it is hymns. Hymns. We don't sing enough hymns. A.W. Tozier, uh, the famous uh, uh, Christian writer in the middle of the century, uh, wrote about how what a terrible uh, singer he was, except when he was singing uh, alone. And he was singing for an audience of one. And he said, then I had a magnificent voice. And I suggest that part of the prolepsis that God is offering us this uh, Lenten season uh, will be involved in, in some hymns. And I think it's important enough that I'm going to give you some suggestions. First thing is go to the Christ the King, Friends of Music. There's a long list of hum hymns there if you don't have a hymn book. Uh, and so take advantage of that. And Lee will gladly tell you about that. The second hymn I'm going to, a resource I'm going to give you is an old hymn uh, written by my favorite hymn writer, Fanny Crosby. She was blind throughout her life, and she wrote 9,000 hymns. One of the hymns she wrote is Draw Me Nearer. I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me, but I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious, bleeding side. To sing that in itself gives us a prolepsis. It allows us to see Jesus on Good Friday in a different way. And because I can, and I'm preaching and you have to listen, I'm gonna tell you my favorite hymn that I plan, I have not yet memorized it. I've sung it for years. And I'll just read the first verse. My song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown, that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die? There's a prolepsis waiting there for each of us. I've been so bold as to edit the uh, different aspects of, of uh, uh, Lent. I'm going to be even bolder. Uh, I'm sometimes overwhelmed by long lists like this. Pick two. Pick two of them on the list. Master them and go to the third one. If it's hymns or if it's Thanksgiving or it's reading, pick two and go to the third until you get the entire list of eight. And the reason is, is because we will have our, uh, a greater acuity in our vision for Good Friday. And we have to understand where Good Friday fits in. The letter of the Hebrews says, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Jesus Christ receives this glory that we heard about Sunday because he suffered death. William Penn was imprisoned uh, in the late 17th century He's the founder of Pennsylvania. And while he was in prison, he wrote a treatise called No Cross, No Crown. Jesus understood that. No cross, no crown. The Apostle Paul wrote this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. The fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Let me call each of us to share in that fellowship in a small way during Lent with these Lenten disciplines, 
so that we might see Christ and see him on Calvary on Good Friday. Amen.